Well, good morning. My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. In John chapter 4, we see this incredible encounter between Jesus and a Samaritan woman at a well. Let me, let me picture it for you. Let me paint this picture for you. Uh, Jesus and his disciples have been walking a long distance. They come to this little town and they're hungry and they're thirsty and they're tired. And so they see this well and Jesus tells his guys, go on ahead, keep walking, find us some food. I'm going to stay here and get us something to drink. So he sits down at the well and he waits. And as he's waiting, a woman comes up to him and he asks her for something to drink. Now, what's interesting here is that Jesus was a Jewish man and this was a Samaritan woman. And those two categories of people do not cross paths. The Jewish people thought of Samaritans at worst as half-breeds and religious heretics. To put it mildly, these two types of people did not engage very well in Jesus's time. And so when Jesus starts a conversation with this woman, she's shocked and she steps back and she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And she tries to remind Jesus of who she is and of who he is. And Jesus keeps talking. He ignores her and he keeps going and he reveals to her things about herself that he would have never known because he'd never met her before. He reveals to her things about himself that she would have never known because she had never met him before. And at the end of this conversation, this woman is amazed because Jesus just told her that he was the key to eternal life, that he was the Messiah. And it's around this time that the disciples return and they see Jesus sitting there talking to this woman at a well. And in verse 27, we see this. Just then his disciples came back and they were shocked to find him talking to the woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? They were shocked, to put it mildly. Honestly, some of them were probably pretty disturbed by it. Others may have been offended by what it is that they saw happening. Every single one of them wanted to change the situation because they were uncomfortable with what was going on. They wanted to pull Jesus away, uh, take him away from this incredibly awkward encounter that was happening. They tried to keep Jesus moving, but he refused. The woman, meanwhile, takes this opportunity to go. and she goes back to the village, she tells everybody who Jesus is and what he did and she brings them all back and they beg Jesus to stay and he stays for two days and at the end we're told that many of them believed because of what Jesus said. Now, this is a popular story. Many of you have heard this story. Many of you have heard this story many, many times because we love to talk about it because it means that Jesus loves people like you and I, people who may not fit the mold, people who may have stuff in our past, people who may not be what the religious, uh, those in religious power think that we should be. Jesus loves people like us and he welcomes us in and it's really good news. And some of us may even be like the woman. You might have stuff in your past that it brings you shame, or at the very least that you don't like to talk about. You may have stuff in your past that's caused you to be rejected at times. Some of us might even be like the woman at the well. But friends, what's happened for the church is over the years, we've started to get a little confused, I think. And honestly, when we read stories like this, we start to see ourselves as being not the woman, but Jesus. 
We see ourselves as the one who welcomes everybody in. We see ourselves as the one who, who pushes away the shame that other people have. We see ourselves as the one who point the way to salvation. And while some of that is very true and it's what we're called to do, friends, there's only one Jesus and it ain't me. It certainly is not me. Unfortunately, the church has fallen into some bad habits when it comes to how we read stories like this. We start, we've started to see ourselves too much as the hero. We read about the woman anointing Jesus' feet and head with oil, and we see ourselves as her, not as the Pharisees who reject her. We hear about the uh, Israelites being freed from slavery, and we see ourselves as the Israelites, not as the Pharisee, as the Egyptians who had held them in captivity. We read about the disciples, and we see ourselves as Peter, the one who knows who Jesus is, not as Judas, the one who denies him, who rejects him who sells him for 30 pieces of silver. We see ourselves as Jesus in this story, not as the disciples who were uncomfortable and unsure of what was going on. Friends, we need to stop acting like we're Jesus. We're not. We are most certainly much more like the other people in these stories. And I don't say that to shame you. I don't say that to anger you. I don't say that to say that we don't have good things within us. I say it to reorient us around the central truth of the gospel, which is that you and I are sinners and we are in desperate need of Jesus. I need Jesus. I have not made it. I am not Jesus. That's the reality. And if we're honest, most of us, struggle more with being like the disciples than we do with living life like Jesus. We struggle when we see Jesus encountering people that we don't think that he has any business being around. We struggle when we see my Jesus, my Savior, my Rabbi, my Lord, my Creator spending time with somebody who is completely different than me. We struggle with this reality. It's painful, but I think it's a real struggle. In the vineyard, one of our core values is this. We are committed to becoming healing communities engaged in the work of reconciliation wherever sin and evil hold sway. We are people who need reconciled to Jesus. And then we are called to work towards reconciliation with each other. Here's a definition of this word reconciliation that I want to put out there to you from somebody who I respect, Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil. Listen to how she defines it. Reconciliation is an ongoing spiritual process that restores broken relationships and systems to reflect God's original intention for all of creation to flourish. Essentially, what I'm saying here is that we are called to become healing communities engaged in the ongoing spiritual process of restoring broken relationships and systems so that we can flourish in the way that God created for us to flourish. That's the gospel call for the church. We aren't called to be Jesus. We, we aren't Jesus we don't need to try and pretend like we have it all together. It's okay. We can be human and still be a part of this ministry of reconciliation. 
We are called to be reconcilers. First, people who are reconciled to Jesus and then to others. Let's pray and then we're going to jump into this. Holy Spirit, we thank you for being here with us and I pray right now that you will come and fill us. Lord, I just pray for any of us that, that are dealing uh, with, with emotions that might be rising up about this subject. Lord, I pray that you will take away our own bins and instead help us to hear your word clearly. Help us to be people who live out reconciliation. Help us to be people who uh, live out this calling to help other people to see the way that you've reconciled us to you and to reconcile ourselves to others out of the grace that you've given to us. Give us grace, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look in the New Testament this morning at a couple of verses, uh, mostly at 2 Corinthians 5. So if you have a Bible, open up to that. But I want to look at one verse before we jump to that one, and that's Romans 5.11. It says, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus, who, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And then the one that I mentioned, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 says this, and all this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. And he has entrusted us with the ministry of reconciliation. This word that I'm repeating over and over again in the Greek, in the Bible, in the New Testament, what it's defined as is this, an exchange or a restoration to favor that is always initiated from God to us. An exchange or a restoration to favor initiated from God to us. Who restores us to favor? Jesus does. I don't do it. Jesus gives it to us. Reconciliation is about Jesus restoring all of humanity so that we can flourish in the way that he intended. Reconciliation is a gift initiated from Jesus to us. And here's another key. Reconciliation is communal. It's not just about me. It's about all of us, all of humanity. We are called to reconcile ourselves to Jesus as a community, not just as a bunch of individuals doing something on our own. The good news of the kingdom is not just good news for the individual. It is good news for all of humanity. The gospel isn't just about mending personal brokenness. The gospel is about mending brokenness uh, throughout the world. It's not just about me. And that's really good news. It's not just me and Jesus. It's, it's me, Jesus, and everyone. It's good news. Because friends, the consequences of our sin don't just affect us. The consequences of our sin are seen throughout our society. There's brokenness between rich and poor, between black and white, between citizen and immigrant, between Democrat and Republican. But Jesus has called us to reconcile, to repair, to restore to himself, not just our personal selves, but everything in all of creation. Friends, let me say this really clearly as we are going here. 
Reconciliation is not a hot trending partisan issue. Reconciliation is core to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The work of reconciliation is not a liberal thing and it's not a conservative thing. It's not a progressive thing and it's not a fundamentalist thing. It is a gospel thing, friends. Reconciliation is a Jesus thing. When we talk about reconciliation, though, we usually talk about it in two ways, right? We think about it like this. We think about it between me and somebody else being reconciled, or we think about racial reconciliation. So let's talk about these two. When we think about it as between me and you, often what we're really thinking about is the process of forgiveness, right? So are reconciliation and forgiveness the same thing? Good question, right? <laughs> you know, I, there's a story that Ernest Hemingway wrote uh, that's called, I think, Capital of the World. And it's about a man named Paco and his father. And Paco had these dreams and he wanted to live them out. And so he left his home. He ran away from home and went to Madrid, to the capital of Spain at that time. And, and he went there and, and he started living out his dream. But his father was so brokenhearted. He was so sad with what happened that he followed him to Madrid. And it, he started looking for Paco everywhere, but he couldn't find him because it's a big city and there are too many people. So he went to the newspaper office and he put in an ad for his son. And this is what he said. Dear Paco, meet me in front of the Madrid newspaper office tomorrow at noon. All is forgiven. I love you. The next day, he goes to the newspaper office around noon. And there are over 800 men, all named Paco, lined up in front of this newspaper office, hoping that their father is the one standing in front of that door. Friends, forgiveness is universal. We all have a deep need for forgiveness because we have all done things that we once forgiven. But there is a difference between forgiveness and repentance and reconciliation. In fact, I would say the biggest thing is that forgiveness and repentance are a part of reconciliation. They do not necessarily equal each other. Let's look at it a different way. If I'm having an argument with one of my daughters and I yell at them and I get super angry and I send them to their room and I just act out in a not super uh, adult or godly way, do we both need forgiveness for the same thing? Nope. Do we both need to repent? Not necessarily. I know I would. I would need to repent and ask for forgiveness for the way that I acted. And they might need Jesus to come and bring healing from the things that I acted, that I did to them, from the things that I said to them. We would both need reconciliation, but we both might not need to forgive or to repent. We might have different needs. Another way of looking at it, if I'm walking down the street and I say something rude flippantly to somebody else, without, they're not provoking me, they're not saying anything, there's absolutely no reason. Does that person need to repent to me? No. But do I need to repent to them? Yes. Do we both need to be reconciled to Jesus after that encounter? I would say yes. We both do for various different reasons. I need to be reconciled because of my brokenness and my sinfulness and my, uh, you know, my rudeness towards them. I need to repent. They need to be reconciled for healing from the pain of whatever it is that I said to them. 
Reconciliation does not mean that both parties need to repent, that both parties need to ask for forgiveness or to forgive, but it does mean that both parties need to be completely reconciled in relationship to Jesus in order to move towards wholeness. Reconciliation is a process of healing and wholeness. Forgiveness and repentance are a part of that process. Reconciliation, racial reconciliation. You know, I, I, I fully recognize and want to acknowledge the history surrounding racial reconciliation in that term. Because unfortunately, often it's been used to mean that one group of people needs to take on the way of doing things that another group of people uh, prefers or asks for or kind of demands. And that is not reconciliation from Jesus's way at all. Reconciliation, as we've talked about this morning, always means that I deal with me and Jesus. Where is my sin? Where is my ignorance? Where is my shortcoming? Where do I need Jesus? Reconciliation cannot be code for everyone just starts doing the thing that those in power want to do. Reconciliation cannot be code for silence. Reconciliation as people who are followers of Jesus, who are reconciled first to Jesus and then to each other, has to be more. And friends, I would say when it comes to racial reconciliation, it involves the process of acknowledging the realities of what's happened and the ways that the church has been complicit. The ways that the church has been complicit in things like slavery. The way that the church went along with Jim Crow laws for so long. The way that the church was more worried about being comfortable than they were about dealing with segregation. The ways in which the church has been silent about obvious injustices. The ways in which the church has bent towards different political party ideologies and agendas instead of taking the Jesus path among so many other things. In order to see racial reconciliation, those things need to be dealt with. I'm going to pause here and let an expert step in and speak. Uh, Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil, who I mentioned earlier, I want us to listen to what she has to say about this. So let's listen. Reconciliation means that it's our commitment to be involved in the ongoing spiritual process that calls us to forgiveness, repentance, and justice so that broken relationships and systems can be transformed to reflect God's original intention for all creation to flourish. That's what it means to pursue reconciliation. And I'm here to tell you that some people think we're nuts. I talk to people and I travel around the country and there are some people who believe that the word reconciliation is an oxymoron. They don't believe it's possible. And don't put racial in front of it because then they really think we're nuts. Because they would say that there's never been a time in the history of our country where we have been reconciled. So you can't have reconciliation if you've never had conciliation. So they don't think we make any sense. They don't think we know what we're talking about. But I'm here to tell you that our definition and our understanding of reconciliation is not informed by what's happening in the world around us. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth and all that is in it, every person and everything, all the creatures and God stood back and God said, this is good. And it was God's intention that the kingdom of God 
question is, it's not a sociological thing we pursue. It's not political. It is theological. And it evidences itself in social and political and, and creative new ways. Amen. So good. So good. Thank you. You know, there's this word shalom, which we often take as just meaning simply peace. It's like a, a Jewish peace sign. But what it really is, is the Hebrew idea of the world as God intended it to be. And this idea of shalom, I think, is best spelled out in Revelation 7, 9, where it says this. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes, and they held palm branches in their hands. Nation, tribe, skin color, language, culture, all together before the throne of Jesus, all still intact, worshiping together in the way that they value, in the way that they uh, know, in the way that they love, all in perfect harmony, reconciled together because of who they're worshiping, not reconciled together in the way that they're worshiping. The world as God intends it to be. That is the image that we're given. So how do we become that sort of a group, that body of Christ, of Jesus? How do we become reconcilers? Here's a few uh, steps, uh, a few things to encourage you uh, as we walk this journey of learning how to reconcile ourselves to God and to each other. Here's the first thing. Be truth tellers, not political ideologists, uh, not, not anything else, but people who speak the truth with a capital T uh, to those in our world. What is the truth? John 8, 31 through 32. You are my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Who is the truth? What is the truth? It's Jesus. Speak Jesus into our world. That is the most important thing that you can speak right now. It's not any rumors that you've heard. It's not any things that you're really worked up about. It's Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Reconcile ourselves and others to Jesus by being truth tellers. Here's the second thing. Be humble. Trade your defensiveness and your pride for a posture of humility. Ephesians 4.2 be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one another in love. Here's the third thing. Treat all people as image bearers and children of God. We have been created in this amazing thing, the Imago Dei, the image of God. All of humanity, no exceptions, has been created in the image of God. Genesis 1.27 tells us this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. All of humanity is an image bearer of the God that we love and that we serve and that died so we could be reconciled to him. Treat people in a way that reflects that. 
be confessors. Not those accepting confessions, but those giving confessions. Uh, accept, acknowledge your brokenness, uh, your, your mistakes. Move forward uh, towards wholeness and healing. Make decisions that point you in that direction. That is how we're supposed to live. 2 Corinthians 7.10 For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. And finally, be grace receivers and grace givers. When we've received the grace of God, when we've been reconciled to Jesus, then we can start to live out through that in our world. Receiving, we then learn how to give and to live in grace. John 1.16, for from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. And finally, as we grow in all of these things, we become reconcilers. We become people who engage in the process of restoring broken relationships and systems so that all of creation can flourish as God intended in relationship with him. Friends, this isn't about you and I becoming Jesus. It's about us acknowledging that we are not Jesus, but that we desperately need Jesus. Reconciliation is a gift because you see, sin came and broke everything apart. Sin came and destroyed the connection we had to God. It separated us from Jesus. So Jesus came and lived so that he could die on that cross for you and for me, so that we could be connected to him completely. Where sin separated us, the cross bridged the gap. Where sin made us enemies with Jesus, the cross reconciled our relationships with our creator. Where sin tried to destroy the cross, the ultimate place of reconciliation has restored once and for all. Friends, we've been called to reconcile ourselves to Jesus. Me connected to him. That's number one. And out of that, we reconcile with others. So where there's anger, seek Jesus. Where there is confusion, seek Jesus. Where there is bitterness, seek Jesus. Where there is uh, anger and hurt, where, where you've been, where there's pain, where there's been suffering, where there's been injustice, seek Jesus. Friends, when you are the one who hurts others and you come up short, seek Jesus. That is what we're called to do. Remember this from 2 Corinthians 5, reading the message this time. All this comes from God who settled the relationship between us and them and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We are Christ's representatives. We are speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. Friends, we're going to transition to a time of worship, but first I want to invite you to be reconciled to Jesus. It's the most important thing you could do. Maybe you've prayed a, a similar prayer before, but there's been something that's happened that's blocked that relationship. Maybe this is the first time, but you know that you are not Jesus and that you need him. And I want to invite you to pray along with me. We're simply going to ask Jesus to forgive us. We're going to acknowledge that we need him. And then we're going to ask him to come and to fill us. So will you pray with me? 
Jesus, we acknowledge that we need reconciled to you. We are not you, but we need you desperately. We repent from the things that we've done, the things that we've said, the anger we've lived out of, the bitterness, the brokenness, uh, the hurt, the pain. And we instead ask you to come and to heal us. Come and bring your presence in our lives right here and right now. We choose to follow you. We choose to live our life in relationship with you. We thank you that the cross has bridged that gap. And we walk in light of the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>